Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, joined again by my co-host, Tom Dorian. Tom? Hey, Deacon Jeff. You look joyful. I'm joyful because I'm in the luxurious corner booth with you and Father Blunt. That's right. We have Father Jim Blunt back with us. What a what a treat. All the way back from Belize, yeah. that tiny little island. Father, welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Thank you, guys. It's a privilege. Now, where is Belize? Help, help us out with where Belize is. Belize is one of the seven countries of Central America. It's directly south of Mexico and east of Guatemala. These are some wonderful people in Belize, are they not? They're beautiful people. They're, they're gentle and um, warm, very welcoming, very humble, very beautiful people. The question is, are they joyful people? Well, some are and some aren't. Those <laughs> who are following Jesus are, and those who are not following the Lord are miserable. Yeah, well, so we weren't trying to fix that. That's why people are listening to us, and let's, let's hope that uh, people hearing us will uh, bring a little joy in their life, because that's what's going to be the topic of our show here. Sounds good. It's going to be the primacy of joy, the importance of joy yes. in our lives. And we, we, so we need to talk about that. Amen. Maybe we should start with what we mean by joy, because I know that a lot of people will think, God, if only I could win the lottery. You know, if if only I could marry a doctor, if only I, whatever. And, and we might think that those are the, the things in life that are making us joyful. But what do we mean when we really talk about joy? Well, I always think in our time of Pope John Paul the Great, that whenever you were around him, he radiated an inner joy. The man was always peaceful. And one thing John Paul said we can't forget, he said that there is no joy without purity. And so there's a connection between joy and virtue. When we begin to live a virtuous life, that is, a life like Jesus, a life the way we were meant to live, everything seems to line up within us. We begin to know our purpose in life, and we begin to feel the closeness of our Creator. When that happens, man begins to experience joy. It's a confirmation that we are in the right place at the right time, and that all is well with my soul, that God is pleased with me. We have a wonderful quote here from uh, St. Augustine, one of our great uh, church fathers. He says, when large numbers of people share their joy in common, the happiness of each is greater because each adds fuel to the other's flame. And so we see joy is contagious, is it not? Yes, it's, it shows you that joy is communitarian, that we need the church and we need the family. Uh, today, I think we have too many Lone Rangers even little churches that break off on their own or pastors who break off on their own or even individuals in our family who go off on their own. But that's a sure recipe for loneliness. God himself is never alone. He's a trinity. He lives in a divine, eternal effusion of love. And so without community, without someone there to share our life with, it's impossible to know true joy. Now, the other thing is that we've maybe forgotten what it is to be joyful. Or we maybe even don't even realize that we were meant to be happy. That's a problem, isn't it? Well, it seems that, especially when you serve in another country as I do, when you come into the United States, something happens. The last time I flew into this country from Central America, I remember walking through the airport, and I didn't see one single smiling face. Hmm. Not one out of thousands of people who were milling through the airport. That's never happened before. 
I've noticed that as the years go by, that I see more and more depression and sadness. And this one particular occasion, it stunned me. So it seems like perhaps America, in the pursuit of other things, maybe serving other gods, is losing her joy and her capacity for joy. I think we're losing our childlike nature. We were meant for joy, and you see that more in parts of Mexico, in Belize, in very poor countries, where the people don't have anything else but God and their family. They have God, they have their family, they have their church, and their joy levels are indescribably higher than the people and the children here in this country. It's simply phenomenal to experience this. We've lost something and we have to find it. Joy. Now, also, I think that we can look at uh, not just the people that you might have seen in an airport or people you might experience every day walking along the streets, but we look into our churches sometimes and we'll see sort of a lifeless experience a lot of times. Even Catholics who should have reason for great joy, it's presented to them especially on Sundays when we go to Holy Mass, but there's not a joy there. There are some people who are missing out on that. How is that possible? That's a good question. I hate to say this, but sometimes it begins with the priest himself, the celebrant of the Mass. It's not the deacons, certainly. Never. (laughs) (laughs) But we priests, uh, we have to remember why we are there. And John Paul did warn us about this problem of becoming functionaries. We should never serve Mass as a functionary. It's not simply a function. There's an old saying that says, Priest of God, celebrate this Mass as if it were your first Mass. Mm as if it were your last Mass, as if it were your only Mass. That has to be the attitude in every priest that we enter into the joy of the Lord, the living experience of God at every Mass. If the priest himself can, as the Bible says, taste and see the goodness of the Lord, the people are going to catch it. Joy is caught like a fire. So I think in a certain sense it has to begin with the priest. The Bible says somewhere else, strike the shepherds and the sheep will scatter. If the shepherds are in love with Jesus and they experience joy at every Mass, the people will also catch the joy. Amen. Pray for your priests. Now, what about the people sitting in the pews? Is there something they can do to increase their joy, to understand really what's going on in Holy Mass and also what their church is offering them? Well, you know, in the old days, we were always told to prepare for Mass, preparation for Mass. Nowadays, it's not uncommon to see the church fill up about 30 seconds before Mass is to begin and 30 seconds afterwards as well. The church fills up all of a sudden. But really, that's not proper. We really need to prepare for the Mass. And that can be done by, A, uh, looking at the Scripture readings in advance, which Mm -hmm. is very easy to do. They're even available on the Internet. B, even more importantly, praying the rosary before the Mass. Because as Jesus came to us through the Virgin Mary, he will come to us again during the Mass through and by the help of her intercession. She will help me to prepare for his coming. She enables me to love him as she loves him. So if we could prepare for our Masses, read the readings in advance, pray especially the Rosary, our hearts will be fine-tuned and aware of his presence when he comes. And so much more joyful the experience will be when we realize what we're doing and what we're participating in. We know why we're there. We know what we're looking for. Amen. Yeah, amen. Amen. Well, let me read a little quote here from uh, St. Francis de Sales. And he says, I cannot understand why those who have given themselves up to God 
and his goodness are not always cheerful, for what possible happiness can be equal to that? That makes me think that even when St. Francis had said this, perhaps there were the same things were going on there, but people have gotten really accustomed to being sad. They've gotten accustomed to being uh, in despair and maybe even depression. We see that all the time. Everywhere we look, people are being sad about things. That's true, Deacon. Well, I, I would classify it as a spiritual sickness. We have a sickness in the world and in the church today. And I, I think it also is a spiritual attack on the church and the people of this country. Um, we are searching for the wrong things. We've, we've lost our hope and our vision of heaven. And without that, that afterlife, without that supernatural goal, everything becomes earthbound. And as soon as a man or a community is earthbound, sadness creeps in. You see, we were not made for the earth. The earth was made for us. We weren't made for the earth. We were made for heaven. And so when we lose that vision of where we came from and where we're going, we are lost in darkness. And I believe this happened to our country in a very huge way. We've lost our vision of eternity, of eternal life. Yeah, that is sad. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas actually speaks to that when he says, Man cannot live without joy. Therefore, when he is deprived of true spiritual joys, it is necessary that he become addicted to carnal pleasures. The world is all, is, is all he has to go to if he turns his back on God and doesn't experience the joy of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? The, the joy of the resurrection. If he doesn't see that, then he's got he's to go to the world because that's all that's left. And that's never going to fulfill him. Well, you know, man was made for joy. And St. Thomas teaches us that every act of man is a reaching out for joy. Even when I reach out for sin, I'm secretly thinking this is going to make me happy. So we were actually made to be joyful. But what do we do when we reach out for everything but what brings us joy? What happens is disappointment settles in. We soon become frustrated and even despairing of ever finding true joy. And that's what the devil wants. The devil wants despair, doesn't he? Well, when we despair, we even begin losing faith. Right. We even stop believing there's a God. See, we know deep inside joy is real. We were meant for joy. If I never encounter it, is it real? Blessed Teresa of Calcutta says, Never let anything so fill you with sorrow as to make you forget the joy of the Christ risen. Amen. So we keep that in mind always. No matter what befalls us, there's joy to be found. Amen. In there. And that's a challenge. That challenge is something we're going to come back and talk about in just a minute after we take a break. I want to tell everyone about a wonderful uh, website that I know of. Tom, do you know of that website? Absolutely. It's www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love for you to email me. Tell me about uh, the shows that you like, shows that you don't like, things that you'd like to hear more about, questions you might have. Uh, email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we will be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. One of the most notable converts to Catholicism in the recent past was a man named Gilbert Keith Chesterton, better known as G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton was born in England in the late 19th century and was raised in the Unitarian and Anglican churches. He was a prolific writer, known throughout literary circles as an accomplished novelist, poet, essayist, artist, playwright, columnist, humorist, historian, philosopher, and theologian. 
But this literary giant was also known by his warm, intoxicating belly laughs and his ability to entertain children at birthday parties by catching buns with his mouth. When it came to religion, G.K. Chesterton always felt an incredible tugging towards the truth. And eventually, he found that truth embodied in the living, breathing revelation of God, the Roman Catholic Church, to which he and his wife Frances converted in 1926. His writings are as popular today as they ever were, with thousands upon thousands of witty yet thought-provoking quotes reprinted in countless books, magazines, and articles, as well as hundreds of sites on the World Wide Web. He said, If there were no God, there would be no atheists. He told us, To have a right to do a thing is not at all the same as to be right in doing it. He also said, The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. Chesterton participated in many friendly debates with the intellectuals of his time, such as George Bernard Shaw, H.G. Wells, and Clarence Darrow. He never shied away from an argument on any topic, especially when he felt he was on the right side. And that was usually always the case. His great tenacity and thoroughness, coupled with his warmth and wit, brought him great respect from both his friends and his adversaries. George Bernard Shaw said, The world is not thankful enough for Chesterton. Before his death, G.K. Chesterton was asked about his conversion to the 2,000-year-old Catholic Church and whether he would do it all again. He answered, So far as a man may be proud of a religion rooted in humility, I am very proud of my religion. I am especially proud of those parts of it that are most commonly called superstition. I am proud of being fettered by antiquated dogmas and enslaved by dead creeds, as my journalistic friends repeat with so much pertinacity. For I know very well that it is the heretical creeds that are dead, and that it is only the reasonable dogmas that live long enough to be called antiquated. G.K. Chesterton died in 1936, and his many writings continue to be of great influence in our modern world, both as a challenge and as a comfort. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And uh, Tom, can you feel the joy? I feel it. Yeah. Do I look, you, you do look, I look joyful? You look joyful. You've got a big I, I smile. Really, I really do feel it. I do have a question now. Yeah? What is your question? You know, Father, you, we're, we're called to joy, right? Yes. Okay. How do you answer someone out there that's experiencing the opposite? You know, they're suffering because of alcoholism in their family or sickness or cancer. We depression, see so much cancer. cancer you right. know, any kind of ailments out of there that are out there. How do you reconcile that? A very good question. I think we priests have to be sensitive to that. There are some people, after all, who have a clinical depression, and they can't just smile, you know, at the, at the turn of a corner. They may need more professional psychological help. However, we need to understand that God is good. As Psalm 118 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. And we really mean the forever there. Yes. The eternal love. That's something that nothing else and nowhere else can you get eternal love. Yes. And that pervades all of my temporal life, mm-hmm. that my life is a preparation for eternity. Mm-hmm. And part of having joy is knowing that my Father adores me, and he has a plan for my life, and nothing unscheduled comes in. God knows who I am, and he knows what I need. 
And even my sorrows and my sufferings are tailor-made for me to grow in virtue, to grow closer to him. You might say in a sort of simple way that what's happened in my life is that sorrows have helped to crush the prideful, wicked part of my spirit. And I'm sort of embarrassed to admit that. But without God, I am simply gross. And what God has done is through my sorrows and my sufferings, he's enabled those parts of my being to die so that I'm opened up to something much higher and much better. So God is very often dealing with something within my own spirit, within my life, that needs to be dealt with. We're not born perfect. We're in the process of becoming perfected. Mm -hmm. And so we need to begin to see our pains and our sorrows, even in our family, as part of God's perfect plan. I notice that he won't let the sorrow or the pain go on one second longer than it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. when it, once it has accomplished its purpose, it's lifted. And so, knowing that and when it's lifted, though, what, what are we left with? I mean, when, when it's lifted, when the sorrow's gone, what's, what's, what's there in front of us? And that's the joy. There's a new strength, you see, a new reality, a new vision of life, and a, close, a closeness to God that comes as a result of that. Something within me faults, dies, and something true rises up. I'm given a much clearer vision. So there could be many reasons for my sorrow and my sickness, but they're always good. God has a reason. Now, someone could ask, well, yeah, but my own sin caused that sickness right. and that problem. And it's true. It's absolutely true. Even there, God is at work. He allows me to be, you might say, punished for my sin to go through a suffering as a result of my sin so that I can learn in the depths of my soul what I did wrong and deal with that and repent with that. So the Lord isn't doing that because he hates me. He's doing that because he loves me. God will give me a suffering to help me to rise up above my sin. So even those sicknesses and those illnesses and those accidents that happen because of my sin or someone else's sin, they don't escape the hands of God. God has a purpose in those too. It would be well if we would pray to the Lord, pray to him and pray to Our Lady. Lord, show me the purpose of the suffering. I accept it now from you. Show me the purpose of this suffering and pray a rosary or go to Mass for that intention. God will begin to show you what you are experiencing. So there is a reason behind every sorrow. And we should look again and revisit this idea that we are made for joy, that that joy is not some kind of like, a, it's not like a bonus check. It's not like something extra we get. It's not something on the side. Joy is the goal, is it not? Joy is not only the goal. St. Thomas Aquinas said that within the most holy trinity, there's a burning furnace of joy. That God is the most joyful being in all of creation and outside of creation is God. Joy is the truth and joy is the reality. Joy is all that there is. And, yes. and what we... Uh, when we don't see that joy, we're being clouded uh, by maybe things of the world, etc., and despair and things of the devil that are, might be causing us not to see that and experience that joy. Well, I think, Deacon, you really bring up a good point of discernment, and this is good for every spiritual director as well, that when the, the subject, when the one comes to you for direction, when there's a lack of joy in my life, there's something wrong. Because when I have repented of my sins and I'm following Jesus and I'm trusting the Lord, joy can't help but break out. So I can almost measure my progress in the spiritual life by how joyful I am. One saint said that joy is the surest sign of the presence of God. Mm, amen. Joy. Yeah. So it really is something very important to look at. It's a sign that God is reigning in my life. 
Well, let's revisit this idea of sorrow that leads to joy. I, I want to talk about that because uh, I know that you love the rosary. Yes. And you've taught me and my wife to love my family, to love the rosary. How many rosaries are you supposed to say a day, Father? It's best to pray four rosaries a day. That's right, four. And a lot of people think, four? I can't do one a week. Are you talking <laughs> four a day? And I've been doing it for several years now, and those four a day, it's, what's beautiful about that is that every day you revisit God's plan of salvation. You see it all from the beginning all the way to the end, the glorious, beautiful end, right? You see the whole story. And in the middle of that story... We see sorrow, yes, right? But what's interesting about those sorrowful mysteries that will lead us to joy is they are actually keys Amen. to joy. How does that work? Well, you might say that in each of our hearts there are obstacles to joy. And they really need to be removed one by one. When they are plucked out, joy begins to grow. The first sorrowful mystery, the agony in the garden, we usually pray for repentance in this mystery. That as Jesus was suffering in the garden for my sins, I suffer before the Lord. I repent of what I've done wrong. So when I repent and go to confession, that sadness of sin is removed from my heart and joy breaks out. It's almost impossible to make a good confession and not have joy. Almost impossible. And you experience that joy, as St. Escriva said, for the whole week after you go to confession. So that first offer of mystery, the agony in the garden, teaches the joy of repentance. Then the second mystery of the scourging teaches us to discipline our bodies. In the United States, in the Western world, we have a tendency to worship the body and to worship sex. We need to discipline our bodies. When we begin to live a life of integrity and purity, a childlike joy breaks out in our hearts. It's actually a taste of heaven. We saw this in John Paul daily, and that's why he said, you cannot have joy without purity. So the second sorrowful mystery, the scourging of the pillar, reminds me and gives me the strength through Mary's intercession to begin to be disciplined and pure. Without purity, no joy, no life. The third sorrowful mystery, the crowning with thorns, has to do with humility. This is perhaps our biggest downfall. We priests have to be careful of this one, is pride. We begin to think that we're better than other people or smarter or maybe like we're little gods. We're not. Only God is God. And so the third star for mystery allows me to enter into the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't need to humble himself. He did it for me because I'm prideful. When I look at him and I mesh my heart with his, I begin to experience humility. When I get off the throne and let Jesus sit there, I begin to know who I am. I'm his beloved son and I begin to have joy. So the third sorrowful mystery leads me to that humility without which there is no possibility of eternal life. Unless you become like little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. The fourth sorrowful mystery, the carrying of the cross, this is really a mystery of perseverance. And you see, when I despair, I give up. That's what happens in our life is we give up. This mystery tells me, persevere, do not give up. Yes, pray the rosary. Ask the Virgin to help you. She was there when Jesus carried his cross. She was there. And she will be there with you and I. One of the secrets is when I'm about to give up is take a break. Stop, take a break, and pray as we did during the interval. Our Lady will come to us and we can start again with renewed vigor. But giving up is normally not the way of God. There could be exceptions here and there, like have I taken the wrong path? Yes, stop that and get on the right path. 
But if I'm on the path God has given to me, don't give up. Take a rosary break. Go out and take a walk and then restart again. When you go back to your work, to your cross, you find it's not quite as heavy as you thought it was. Mm. And there's a joy of having manly courage. There's a joy in that to know that I can carry the cross my father gave me to carry. I'm pleasing in his sight and I'm pleasing him. Then the fifth sorrowful mystery, everything is there. That's what St. Thomas Aquinas taught. He said the cross is the greatest school of them all. When you see Jesus crucified, we have to mention this to begin with, obedience. We really live in a rebellious culture. We're taught to rebel against all authority in the church, at home, at school, at the business. Rebel, rebel. I know someone whose whole eternity was based on rebellion. His name is Lucifer. And he said, I shall not serve. Rebellion is not the way of a disciple. We should rebel against sin, especially in our own hearts. But obedience is a virtue, not rebellion, unless you're rebelling against what is evil. We need to learn, first of all, obedience, to do what God has asked us to do and what our rightful superiors have asked us to do. There's something good and healthy there. Jesus was obedient to his Father. And so in that fifth sorrowful mystery, you see a missing trait that all of us need, even adults. We priests need to be obedient to our bishops, the bishops to the Holy Father. We need to learn this childlike quality that opens up everything for us. Obedience is love. Love is obedient. When you love someone, when you love your wife, Deacon, you obey her. You know what I mean by that? I do. She has a request or a need, and, and you obey and try to fulfill that for her. So obedience is at the heart of love. On the cross, we see perfect obedience. We see perfect love. There is perfect joy. And, of course, all five of those things you mentioned, repentance, purity, humility, perseverance, obedience, all of those lead us to joy. Amen. And that's the, then we have those uh, glorious mysteries that come immediately after the sorrowful mysteries. There's the icing on the cake. And that's beautiful. That's a yeah. beautiful thing. That's a whole new way of looking about sort of uniting or having that sorrow and understanding the purpose of the sorrow and having it lead us to that perfect joy, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. That's beautiful. beautiful. Thank you so much, uh, Father, for helping uh, to uh, open our eyes a little bit here and, and realize that sometimes sorrow is in our lives, but joy is on the tail end of that. Thank you, Deacon. Let's start a new movement. That's a right. movement of joy. That sounds beautiful. Let's do that. We'll put Tom in front. All right. Yes, he's carrying the banner. He has a humble, joyful, childlike spirit. There you go. Father, would you lead us in a short prayer as we close our program? Sure. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Brother and sister, we want you to know how much you are loved, you are beautiful, you are priceless and unique and unrepeatable. May God show you his plan for your life. And may you this day experience the joy that you've never tasted before. One day may our beautiful Savior bring you and everyone to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. <laughs>